Today, someone was asking me, like, what is Pro One Dialogue? And in short, I think it's a conversation to just to share observations, stories, philosophies, feelings, lessons, just things learned from a lifelong journey throughout the world of basketball. Um, and in doing so, offering insight from the perspective of a player, coach, scout, an agent, and also a parent um, to help shed light on how different people in, in regions from all over the globe approach the game. Um, Pro One was a company that I formed back in 2003, and it's traveled many different paths in the basketball world from an agency to in the youth space with a travel club and a scouting. Um, and I've just been incredibly fortunate to learn from some great individuals at every level, both here in the States and abroad. I want this to be informative, entertaining, but even more so educational. Um, my hope for this podcast is that everyone from parents, coaches to players can take away something new. Uh, and interesting to make themselves better. So with that, welcome everybody to Pro One Dialogue. And, and as kind of the, when I started thinking of this this project, I, I kind of had one person in mind that I thought kind of summed up a lot of this uh, that could bring a lot of just insight, stories, perspective of, of and, you know, someone that was a friend, someone that I had the uh, the good fortune of, of getting to see play in high school, then in college, and, and just kind of stay in contact with. And think it's someone that uh, a lot of people don't really know what he's doing outside of kind of in our community here in Huntsville, Alabama and abroad. And that's Greg Stolt. And uh, Greg is the uh, vice president of basketball operations with NBA China. Uh, a lot of people will remember him from his playing days at Florida. Um, was a, I think it was 2014 inducted into the SEC uh, Legends. I, I was at that tournament. I remember that because Gerald White from Auburn was in that one as well. And I think Tony Delk. Um, but Greg was a terrific player, scored over 1,300 points in his career, uh, helped lead the Gators to the Sweet 16 his senior season, led the SEC in three-point percentage that year, went on and played at the professional level in Europe and in Asia in the G League, and then from that quietly transitioned into the NBA, and that's kind of where I uh, wanted to kind of jump back in. But f- So without further ado, Greg, man, welcome to the, uh, the first episode of Pro and Dialogue. Yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate the call and uh, really excited to be part of this. It's, uh, it sounds like a great initiative. Yeah, it, it's something, Greg. That uh, I mean, heck, I've you know I, I lived in the in the agency world for a long time. Uh, lived in the scouting world, and, and and with that, a lot of travels to a lot of different corners around the world, and uh, got to learn some neat things. And and then when I made the transition to uh, parenthood. And with my boys and then kind of getting involved in the space, it's something I've become really passionate about with just development and um, just overall philosophies with things. And, you know, that's one of the things with this whole project. Um, I don't mind at times it being kind of technical, but I think more so kind of a macro overview of just different perspectives. And I, and like I said, kind of the at, at the core mission of this is that my hope is that a player listening sometimes can learn something really coaches, uh, but also parents just in, in terms of approach. And, and that's kind of, you know, one of the, the, the cool things. And I thought timing wise with this is, you know, with you being in Shanghai, China and just finishing up the, uh, the feeble world championships, I thought this was just a great timing from that. And with the NBA about to launch off and um, the Lakers and the Nets are going to be there for a couple of games and then some G league. I just, uh, from, from a playing experience, work experience, and then from, which we'll get into here in a little bit, a lot of your initiatives that you do, I just thought that you would be the, uh, the perfect launching stone t- t- tell me a little bit, Greg, um, cause I know some of this stuff, but just, just to kind of share. So how you transition from the end of your playing career, uh, and then into the professional side and then, and then how you got into the NBA and just a little bit about your journey with that. Sure. So, you know, I, I started playing basketball after after graduating from Florida. Um, you know, every player I think menta- their their mentality is to see how good they can be, and ultimately that is can you make the NBA or not? And if if you can make the NBA, can you stick in the NBA? 
And for me, you know, I had a couple of summer league tryouts, a couple of workouts, but nothing serious enough to work, to lead me to the point that, hey, that I, I could really make a career in the NBA. Um, at that point in time, it was a bit disappointing. But for me, you know, I didn't understand it at that point. You know, my only option was to play overseas. Uh, and I didn't understand. What I didn't understand was what a great opportunity it would be. So, you know, I played played six, six and a half years uh, in Europe a couple of times. And my, actually, my first job was Dominican Republic before Europe. Um, went to J- Japan a couple of years, Australia, as well as the G League. Uh, and and I probably about two years into that, I realized how special of an opportunity it was to live abroad and, and, and actually play and get immersed in the culture and learn new things and meet different people and and change my mindset a little bit from you know whether it's Huntsville or Gainesville, Florida being the center of the world and and, and understanding that there's some good things that are going on outside of the United States and outside of our little bubbles uh, that I can learn from and maybe apply in my life, uh, whether it's in the United States or elsewhere. Uh, And so my six and a half years of basketball is great. uh, And I really enjoy the opportunity. I knew over time, I had a couple knee surgeries. I knew right away I wasn't going to be able to play until I was 40. You know, my goal was to play as long as I possibly could at the highest level. And I, after my first knee surgery, I knew I wouldn't get to be able to do that. So I started thinking about next steps. And about four and a half, five years into my career, I had my second knee surgery. And then I realized this thing's really going to cut shorter than I thought it would be. Uh, so I started studying for grad school, uh, which, you know, before Alabama, before Huntsville, I had lived in, in Hawaii. And I wanted to go back to Hawaii. So I went back to grad school in Hawaii for a couple of years. And that was more so to buy me a couple of years to figure out what I wanted to do, uh, knowing that I enjoyed the international aspect of work, of basketball, of, of, of the cultural aspect, meeting new people and so forth. So actually graduate school bought me an opportunity to figure out things and then gave me a chance. Through grad school, I had a network that got me a job in Japan. Uh, working with a, a Japanese engineering company. Uh, and w- while in Tokyo, I was supporting our businesses. Uh, we, we had, we had uh, factories and sales departments all over the world. Uh, and so I had a chance to visit Mexico and Latin America and China and, and, and factories throughout Japan and really understanding the business that, they, that we were doing uh, and some of the challenges that we had globally to expand and, and, and to build our business. Um, and, and it was really an interesting, a very educational couple of years with the company. While in Japan, I had an opportunity. The NBA called me out of the blue. They saw a resume that I had posted online, maybe my first six months on the job in Japan. Uh, I wasn't looking, uh, but they had contacted me and asked me if I'd be interested in a position international position, international operations position, which I wasn't looking. I was happy in Japan, but of course it was the NBA and it was an opportunity uh, that over time and I, after getting to know the, the position a little bit more and what the opportunity and the details of the job were, uh, it was a position I couldn't turn down. So uh, after two years in Japan, I had a chance to move on and work in our New York headquarters, uh, working in basketball operations mostly focused on international. At that time, 10 years ago, we had we didn't have as many offices. I think we only had about five of the eight offices we had. We did not have India. Uh, we had a much smaller China office. And two of our big, biggest growth markets, China and India, I spent most of, most of my time supporting. Um, so I'd be in India for three months. I'd be in China for two months in the summertime doing events, programs, clinics, uh, attending tournaments, and so forth. And then over over a period of three years, going back and forth to these countries, the opportunity to move to China came up. So uh, actually, my wife and I moved over to Beijing about seven years uh, and seven years later, about seven years ago. And then seven years later, we are now in Shanghai, uh, living, working, enjoying the opportunity still. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where we are now. Um, uh, and we've, we've loved it. We've really enjoyed the experience here, learning every day, challenged every day, uh, but still an interesting place to be. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I will say, 
um, you're easily one of my favorite uh, Instagram follows uh, just because I think I may be wrong. I don't think you ever post anything basketball related. It's all about meals. It's all about just the culture and it's just great. It's just, I kind of get to see like what's Stolt having for dinner tonight. And you know, like there's no way I'd ever eat that type stuff. So uh, it's, it's really good at Greg Stolt, a great follow uh, on Instagram. If you want to just kind of see the life of that, um, t- tell me, like, and this is one thing just myself, um, out of kind of curiosity, how, how did you get so comfortable kind of just with that culture and, 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 and being over there and with, with the language, I, I assume now with the years that you've been there, you speak, uh, somewhat fluently, uh, in some of the dialect I would imagine. Yes. Not as good as I should, you know, it's a, you know, it's amazing what basketball does, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a round ball that balances and a lot of people play it globally. And, uh, I, I am extremely fortunate. I assume if you ask most basketball players that have had similar experiences playing abroad, uh, they really do feel fortunate that, that, that the ball, the game of basketball has given them the chance to see the world and experience different things and meet new people. Um, and, and so for me, you know, going back to it, I did, you know, graduating from Florida, I thought Florida was the center of the earth. It was, you know, Coach Donovan and great facilities and, and, and you know, didn't really have to think much. You just kind of show up in time and you play hard and you have all the resources you need. Uh, and then you go to a place like the Dominican Republic, which is only two hours away. And you're like, man, this is quite different. You're living in a hotel, your weight room's a hotel gym, which, you know, you're kind of putting together cinder blocks to get enough weight to lift uh, to get a good workout. And you're working out in, in, in like a half indoor, half outdoor course with rims that are rusting. Uh, and, and right away, it took me a while to get used to like, this is reality of, 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 of the game. And it's, you know, for me to really move up, I got to prove myself again. Um, and, you know, I think for me, it's just a matter of maturing uh, after a year or two and, and really understanding this is it. This is the job. And if I want to be successful, I'm going to have to acclimate more uh, and, and really try to connect more with the people I'm around. Uh, so so probably two years into it in Europe, I, I really started appreciating it. Now, my first taste of Asia was Japan. And it was uh, it went above and beyond any expectation. Quality of life, the, the league, maybe not as high as Europe, maybe not as high as China, but a good level league for me. Uh, challenging, but not overwhelming. Uh, and, and the teams really took care of you. Uh, and then I think for me in Japan, I, I, I yeah, I learned. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on in Asia. Even though Japan is a little bit more developed than uh, China, maybe at that point in time. Uh, market-wise, GDP-wise, and so forth. Um, being in Asia, you start learning about news and hearing about different things and where the opportunities are, which made me interested in the region. Uh, and, and so I think Japan and a couple of years living there uh, really set me up to be more prepared to move to China uh, and live. Even though the cultures are different, there's some similarities in the way people do things. Uh, languages di- are, are different, but there's still some similarities. So I think that the Japan experience really set me up for this. Now, living here in Shanghai, I would probably say, even though it's a great city and, and we really love living here, it's not quite, it's not exactly like the rest of China. It's quite different. Very cosmopolitan, very developed. Uh, you can go have a thousand dollar meal. You can have a dollar, uh, you know, noodle. Uh, you have whatever option there is out there. And, and language is not quite as demanding, meaning you can get away with English. Uh, so my Chinese is not as good as it could be. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, we get by, we communicate, uh, still taking classes. In fact, I have a class right after this. Uh, so I'm trying to stay on that so I can become better. Um, but in terms of life and quality and language, you're getting used to it. If there is a place to get used to, it, Shanghai would be the place for most people. Uh, his quality of life is very good. Yeah. How, how was, um, kind of tying back into just a few weeks ago with the, uh, FIBA world championships, what was the overall just reception, uh, there in China, uh, with all the, the teams from around the world there? Um, and, you know, I, I know myself, uh, I loved and, and, and 
just getting up really early every morning and, and kind of flipping on the laptop or the iPad and, 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 and checking it out, the games. And it, it looked like a lot of the games were well attended. I know some of the offsite ones, maybe not so much, but they're kind of being in the hub uh, and kind of right there in it. What was kind of your, your takeaway on that and with, with, with the, rece- you know, the reception of, of the game from around the world? So it, it was a great event. So we had, I was here in Shanghai, we had Japan, Czech Republic, uh, Turkey, and the U.S in the first round and I went to most of the games and the night games, the games would be at four 30 in the afternoon at eight o'clock here in Shanghai time. And the night games would almost always be sold out. Um, they'd always have the U S play at night. I think up in Beijing, they always had the China, China game at night. So prime time wise, they're doing pretty well in terms of ticket sales and attendance. Um, but in terms of the level of game of, of the game, uh, the, you know, China is China's a large country with a lot of cities that have great facilities, uh, so they're able to accommodate eight different locations hosting games. Um, so the logistics, the infrastructure, the planning, the organization behind it was was very done very well by FIBA and the Chinese Basketball Association here. Um, and then the overall overall level of the game was uh, exceptional. Um, you know, a little bit from from a U.S. and an American standpoint, a little bit disappointed to see uh, to see where the United States resulted. Uh, but you know, for us, I, I think the American team played extremely hard. Uh, you'd like to see the A team come. I'm not sure what level this team would be classified as. Um, you know, you'd hope. I, I guess for us, we we hope guys would be a little bit more committed to this um, and, and looking forward towards the future of the Olympics next year in Japan. Hopefully we get some of our top tier guys to participate, but nonetheless, I think the event was great. I think the American team played extremely hard, although they didn't result in what they wanted to. Uh, Spain, France, Australia, uh, Greece, all very high, Argentina, all very high level basketball teams. So I think in, in all in all, the event was great uh, for Japan, for China uh, and for basketball globally. Yeah. I, it's, it was I, I selfishly I got a great deal of enjoyment out of just because I remember back when I when I started really traveling to Europe a lot um, and even back from that I, I remember back in gosh it would have been probably the summer of two thousand two um, I remember the Pistons uh, did a a, a pre tournament. Gosh, would that have been the Olympics? Maybe. Anyhow, they had uh, up, up at the Pistons facility, and Lebanon was there, Turkey was there, Argentina, and there was a collection of like uh, college overseas players. And I, I'll never forget. I was sitting there courtside with a couple of the Pistons front office guys, and 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 one of my friends, Tony Ronzoni, and literally the game was about to start, and and I was like, "Hey, who's good in this game?" And he was like. He goes, you don't know Ginobili? And I was like, no, who's Ginobili? And there's literally, there was a jump ball, and I think Scola or Roberto was in the jump center. They tipped it on, and like Ginobili ran up, and he literally kind of like, as, as the defender, I think they were playing Lebanon, kind of like tipped it with his right hand over to his left hand and went in for a dunk right off the opening tip. And, and the Pistons guys turned to me, and they're like, that's Ginobili. <laughs> and so like these, they were incredibly young at that time, just kind of coming on the scene. Um, and so to see, you know, guys like Scola still just kind of be just so relevant and just grinders and players and, you know, w- watching the Spanish side and all that, like for me, I-, I got as much enjoyment out of seeing those guys, uh, compete and play. And then just at the levels of, of play all around the world, than um, then, you know, worrying about like, man, I wish it was more, uh, top end American guys, but you know, that I, I, I know that I'm probably in the minority of being fortunate to have, have been exposed to those guys, but it's just it's the basketball is just so good everywhere. Um, and tournaments like that, I think, give a great showcase to, to show that. Yeah, you know, I, I guess my I, I went back after the games and I watched after watching the U.S. and are they not talented enough? Is the skill skill level is not good enough? Uh, the comprehension of the FIBA rules and the style of play. Are they not used to that? Because most American guys in the NBA over five, ten years haven't played with those rules. Uh, what is it, you know, that makes Rubio or uh, Marcus Saul or uh, Jokic or these guys go go back to their their national teams and uh, Rudy Gobert and, and 
and prosper while you know you kind of watch you watch the U.S. team and it looks like they're struggling with uh, the style of play with the way the refs call with with the help side defense being right there with teams changing to two three zones and I'm not sure what the answer is they was was Coach K in a better position because he used to used to coaching with those rules as compared to uh, Coach Popovich how about you know is Coach Pop Popovich dealing with some internal stuff for example. Uh, he's an NBA coach, uh, and he's dealing with players from other NBA teams that have different coaches that have different interests in mind and, and so forth. So, you know, I, I still, you know, looking at the roster, I still think our team from the States had the talent, um, you know, but ultimately they, they just didn't gel and they didn't quite play at the level that they needed to play to be competitive with some of these uh, other teams. And, and I think all in all, the gap certainly is closer than it was when we were watching the dream team in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much closer in Europe. Uh, I, I don't know so much about Asia, but it's much closer in Europe in terms of uh, skill level and ability of the players and the teams that are in these things. Yeah. That's a great point too. I had not thought of that. Um, just in terms of talking about the, the dealing with the players where K is on the collegiate level. Um, in, but where, where pop is, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a good point. Um, I thought too, with, with Tatum's injury, um, that affected them as well. Um, uh, and just, you know, cause it, losing one of their guys, but I, I think the, the, the bigger part, like what you touched on earlier is, is it just their ability to be used to the rules, to style of play, the games are shorter, you know, um, just all of the, the officiating, all the things that kind of go into that, that it's not. Um, and, and then for me though, too, and which is kind of, you know, the, the hope of kind of going through this project of just watching style of play and watching how in a lot of the other countries, how the ball move and the people move in, in, in the flow of play where our style of play, um, with these guys, is just, they're so, you know, incredibly talented where it gets a little bit more sticky and it's a little bit more just kind of, you know, pick and roll type actions rather than, you know, the, yeah. The international teams do that too, but there's a lot of other cutting going on before they get into the pick and roll type stuff. And it's just, I, I, I thought that it was a really good uh, illustration of just the diversity in terms of philosophies and style of play. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thinking about the French game, the France game, you know, the best player, the player that we all know the most probably is Nick Batum. Nick Batum in that game wasn't very uh, he wasn't very influential in terms of numbers he didn't have huge stats uh rudy gobert um he we had marcus smart guarding him we had jalen brown guarding him um you know evan fournier was running circles around us he's a good nba player but in fiba uh, he really showed you know the value the skill sets that he has which has certainly opened the door to create an nba career for him um, is he better than Jalen Brown? Um, I don't know. Is he better than uh, other guys on the U.S. roster? I don't know. But um, he certainly, skill-wise, ability, he was much more prepared, it looked like, for FIBA than our guys were. And I, I, th- I also think you're right. Tatum's injury was, was a blow. That's an athlete. That's a guy that can get out and defend, uh, really really put pressure on the offense, get the ball out and go and, and, and create some havoc. Uh, on the defensive side to, to provide for easier, easier baskets on the offensive side. So that was a big loss for us in the U S in those games. Yeah. And, and, and I guess kind of, kind of butting up that I, 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 I'm, I like it better when, you know, we're, we're not winning every game by 30 and 40 points where it makes them more interesting. And I, I think that's probably for the, um, moving forward the, for the betterment of, you know, like you said, trying to get our, our top end players to, to play in that. And, um, and hopefully they kind of will. So what let, let's, uh, I want to shift gears cause I really kind of want to, to get into, cause I think one of the things that just myself is, you know, has always been interested in, but really kind of want to share to people, people listening. Let's just talk a little bit about um, kind of what a day in the life of Greg Stolt looks like in terms of, working with NBA China, um, kind of like overview of things that you kind of do. And then from that, I really kind of want to get into, you know, I know you, you, t- you did a lot of basketball development stuff and initiatives in India and China, just what the grassroots programs and things like that look like in the NBA academies. I think 
I think that's really, really interesting stuff. But just kind of f- first off, what is, you know, what, what, what's your typical week? What's your typical, I know it's seasonal in terms of, you know, what's going on in season, out of season, but you know, what are some of the things that you, you're, you're doing with the NBA in China? Yeah, so we, you're right. We are seasonal um, and we're basically the opposite of the NBA season. So once this, I would say the busiest time of year for us is May through these preseason games that we have in October. And then October through May, it's a little less hands-on, a little less traveling, a little, little less event and clinic and coaching camp based. Uh, and so basically from May till October, the reasoning is because when the NBA season's over, uh, NBA players, NBA coaches, NBA uh, dance teams, whatever, referees can come over to China and, and do things. Uh, and they don't only come to China, they go all over the world, India, Africa, Europe, Latin America. Um, on any, generally every year we'll have 20 players that will come over, come through China on us. Uh, we'll also work with players that come over with Nike, uh, Adidas, uh, Chinese sponsors like Leaning and Adidas, uh, Anta, uh, and work with those players doing different, different appearances, uh, content pieces and so forth. So, uh, you know, the annual I guess the annual, what the annual calendar of events looks like, May through October, we're constantly doing camps, clinics, events, programs, tournaments, uh, from grassroots to the elite. Um, and then October through May, it's more planning. Uh, in terms of the things that we do, uh, I, I would say, first and foremost, we work very closely with the Chinese Basketball Association, uh, which is led by Yao Ming. Now, Yao used to be, of course, he's an NBA legend and, and a global icon. He, when he retired, he was the owner of the Shanghai CBA team, the Shanghai Sharks. Uh, and then I think uh, two years ago, he basically became the Adam Silver, Jerry Colangelo position in the Chinese Basketball Association. So he oversees basically the federation and the national team program, but also the professional league here. Uh, and so we are working closely. We have worked in, the, in my 10 years with, this, with, with the NBA. We've worked on coaching development. We've done referee training camps. We have Chinese referees attending uh, NBA Summer League. Uh, we've arranged for games for the Chinese national team. Actually, the, CBA, the Chinese national team played in the Summer League last year. Uh, we arranged for games with the Chinese women's national team with WNBA games, WNBA teams in the WNBA preseason. Uh, and so, uh, and we're working at looking at how to be more collaborative, um, how to how to create more meaningful programs to support the, the growth of the game here in China. Uh, and I think ultimately to get more kids playing uh, at the lowest level, but also at the highest level, helping develop and making a more efficient system uh, to create better players. Uh, so that's that's one piece of it. Uh, we have also at the, at the grassroots program, grassroots level, we, we have a program that's called Junior MBA, uh, and that is global, but in every market, it's a little bit different. So in China, what we do, we've created a curriculum, four-level curriculum, but in reality, what we're doing here is it's, it, we put together a guidebook for PE teachers. So um Here's something easy and fun that you can do with your 50 kids for 45 minutes twice a week. So kids are playing basketball, having fun. Meanwhile, the PE teacher can deliver a program to kids, even though he's not a basketball expert player, he or she is not a basketball expert player and so forth. And the goal of the junior MBA is to get kids playing uh, and just enjoying the game, their first touch point of the game. To ultimately create fans out of them, basketball fans, um, and not so much at the elite level trying to create and develop high-level talent. Uh, it's more of just getting kids playing. Uh, it, then in between, we have an NBA Academy, which we just started a couple of years ago, two, two and a half years ago, and that's probably in between the CBA and the Junior NBA, which is more of a if we identify kids in, in junior MBA um, or through CBA tournaments or different basketball programs throughout China, we have a group of about five or six coaches living in China now working for the NBA Academy. And they attend every camp clinic tournament that we possibly can in China uh, to see what players are out there, 
that we could possibly bring into our MBA Academy program, short-term or long-term, to work with us. Uh, And then obviously, after we observe them here in China, if we feel like there's an opportunity for them to develop even more, perhaps pursue college in the United States or prep school in the United States, we'll send them to our NBA Academy in Australia where they'll train with our coaches, learn more English, uh, hopefully fill in the gaps with their academics. Uh, and then after time in Australia, we'd place them either in prep school, uh, get, them in, get them exposure in the summertime during AAU tournaments, during scouting periods, uh, with the goal of get, getting them into college. And I, I guess it, it, at the end, I'll close with this. It's, there's an idea that floats around, I think, internally as well externally. I think you read the media reports. Uh, you know, why, when is the next Yao Ming coming out of China? And, and it makes me cringe a little bit because Yao Ming is really a once in a generation, if not more. Uh, he's a seven foot five guy that really had the motivation, the incentive to become as good as he possibly could. He was extremely skilled. He's extremely smart. Uh, and he went to the NBA and he had a great career. Obviously he was cut short because of injury, but he really is a special person. Uh, and if you look at the other five NBA players, Yao plus the other five NBA players that have come out of China, they're all big. They're all really special, specially talented, physically talented people. And so they're, they're, they're not just normal guys. They're, they're guys that are 6 foot 11 and can shoot the three-point shot. They're E.G. Lian who could run like a deer and jump, you know, a vertical jump of, you know, 40 inches. Uh, you know, they're, they're very, they're very unique, special athletes. And so out of what we, we hadn't done anything in the last, I guess, prior to the last three years, we haven't done a whole lot to help grow the game and getting more kids playing. And then at the elite level, playing, getting kids playing at a higher level. And we've resulted in having six NBA players. And the, the idea now is if we invest a little bit more, uh, we can identify guys that maybe aren't the super talented physical athletes like me and Yao and Wang Jiji. And we could find more guys that could over time with the proper coaching, eating right, enough competition that's meaningful, they could develop into something that potentially could make it to the NBA. Uh, and that's where we are now. And, and, and so the idea of another Yao Ming coming out of here, I don't know, but I, you know, I think for us, it's more of, let's be realistic. Australia has 200 kids in prep school and college in the United States. They have eight or nine NBA players. Uh, their population is smaller than Shanghai. Uh, why is there no prospects that we know of coming out of China in the next five years? We don't know of anybody that's a potential prospect. Uh, we have tall kids, uh, but we're not sure if they're ready to take the next step into the NBA. And so our goal right now in China and what my department's in, in charge of is creating programming that can catalyze change and get people playing, get more people playing and get people playing at a much higher level than they currently are. Yeah. One of the things that I, in, I know we've talked about this before um, in, in just the challenges of China and how, how they've historically been kind of a state sponsored sport, you know, Olympic athletes is kind of the goal, right? Train, 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 um, in in for every four years for the for the Olympics, is is that has to be kind of an ongoing cultural um, challenge to to go with with that. I guess that's probably where Yao really comes in play in helping that bridge that. I would guess, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, Yao is the one guy that's had a taste of both, and he's been successful at both. Um, and so I think he is the one person that could bring in Western ideology and, and training and competition and rest and education and those types of things. And, uh, you know, taking a step back about the system here, uh, you know, I, I think I've also learned this living here and living abroad. I think people that live in a certain place think everywhere else in the world is the same. And it's, it's, it's far from the truth. And in, in China, they have a very robust and a very effective sports development system that's sponsored by the state. And 
every province, every city has sports schools and they got sports bureaus. And, and, and you go into these places and you watch these kids playing ping pong or badminton or diving or, and incredibly efficient, effective. And as a result, China wins a lot of medals. We'll, we'll watch the Olympics next year in Tokyo. China will be number one or number two in medals. Now, that system hasn't resulted in developing really good team sports. Uh, I think the women's volleyball team here is very strong, but outside of that, um, and sometimes women's soccer is okay, but men's soccer is weak, men's basketball is weak. Uh, women's basketball is a little bit better, uh, but they're still far behind from Europe and the United States and Australia. Um, and so I think that's where the sports system is not efficient. It's, the idea of training six hours a day, repeating, 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 not going to school, not having social life, you're not interacting, not having enough meaningful competition, uh, I think is a result that's affected the team sports here. So, you know, I think that's one thing Yao is looking at and really trying to drive change is, is creating a, a more of a, uh, I guess, a culture of, of, of youth development, youth sports, uh, getting parents more involved, uh, getting the academic system much more involved because uh, you know to date the academic system hasn't resulted in really developing players, teams, coaches, and so forth. And he's trying to, I think probably over time, hopefully just having one system instead of an academic system that has some sports and a sports system that has a ton of sports but no academics and really combining the two. Uh, and that'll take time. Yeah. No, that's interesting stuff. I guess, I guess the, the, the thought process, of, of especially with the NBA Academy and uh, with the elite programs, that's that's really kind of the, the incubator where you want to try to identify the ones to help transition them to that, like you said. Um, and what's kind of the – and I know it's it's all different. Like you said, there's not really a kind of a next name in the pipeline. But do you, do you see, especially with what's coming uh, – on the horizon with back without it, which appears not having to do the one and done where you can, you know, not to have to go to college, but if you go to college, stay a little bit, is it still kind of like, Hey, if we send them to Australia or send them through our own elite academies and the development of them and the training, that that's still the best route that if it, those are the most talented guys, or is there a little bit more of a push to, Hey, let's try to get them into the college program here in the, in the States for a couple of years at playing at, you know, for some universities with some great coaches to, to develop that? Is there kind of one or the other that they think is the best route or is it uh, still to be determined on that? Yes, yeah, so I, I think it's, uh, for China, I think it's real important for kids to get to the United States, Europe, an English speaking place, you know, and uh, mostly because kids coming from here aren't, aren't going to have a, a real robust up, upbringing of it academic education in English in particular. So, you know, for example, if you're a point guard, uh, you, first of all, that's a, that's a most challenging position in the NBA or any, anywhere, college, NBA, high school. The point guard is a critical position where you got to take direction you get from your coach. you got to understand your teammates. you got to lead your teammates. you got to communicate. And if you don't understand English, then you're, you're going to be real limited. You better be a, a freak of nature because you're going to be real limited if you can't connect with your teammates. Um, and so, so on that point, I, I think it's really important for players from here to get at least a year, a couple of years. It could be in the States. It could be in Europe. It could be in Australia. But learning the language, dealing with different types of coaches, uh, getting educated, you, you know, playing playing games. They don't play enough games here. Um, it, before they pursue college, before they pursue the NBA. I think they're going to be real limited uh, if they don't have that experience. Now, the one person that's – the one player from Asia that's really flourished without that one year of prep school is Rui Hachimura from Japan. Yeah. Uh, I do know he spent the one year in Gonzaga – his first year in Gonzaga, he didn't speak English. Uh, really? I didn't know that. he spent that one year oh. learning it. And, and that's one reason why he didn't play that first year. Because I, I, we had him in a camp. I spoke to him, didn't speak English, and wondered how he's going to get in. But he really, pretty quickly in Gonzaga, developed into, into a lottery pick. 
Um, now, 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 big men, I, I think the learning curve is a little less than guards. Uh, you know, for example, a guy like Wang Jiji, if there's more guys like him in China now, I would say, yeah, we would have a couple NBA prospects, six foot 11 guys that can shoot the three in today's game. Uh, there's 30 NBA teams that would love to have that. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, for, for us, and when we look at guys, you know, I think we do tend to lean towards looking for bigger guys because I think the learning curve is a little less. But obviously, you don't want to turn down guards that have skill sets or potential. So we look at those guys. So I think ultimately for all these players coming from Asia, uh, getting them some time in the States where they get used to the culture and, and the basketball culture, the academics, the social life, everything uh, on the court, but also off the court that you need to do to prepare yourself for the next level is really important. And uh, the opportunities in the States and elsewhere are are better than maybe here but here at this point in time. Mm-hmm. No, that's it. I just, it's just it's one of those things that uh, it just feels like that would be the next thing for for more of those guys to to come over to come over and into because um, they're just so talented, you know. And just to have the chances for them to develop um, is is something that uh, I'd really like to see. Uh, I that's you know at different times in the past couple of years out at the summer league out in Vegas, you know, there's a there's. I don't know if they were there. I think they were there this year. That you know, there's a, a, a Chinese team, and there's just I mean, there's it's just talented guys, man. I mean, you know, like, and that's the one thing I always get a kick out of, uh, which you touched on earlier, is that like, <laughs> they're all just giants. You know, they're all they all seem very very big and very long and very skilled and talented. And um, you know, if, like you said, if if you know, put them in the position of if they were just a team from Indiana. Uh, or you know an AAU team in the summer, the co- college coaches would be going crazy over those guys, um, and so that's the part of like I know- yeah, there's, uh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, sorry about that. No, yeah, they're uh, if those guys, you know, the national team, the, the guys that just you know kind of bombed out in the World Cup here, if they grow up in Texas or Florida or wherever, um, and and they go through the system, every one of those guys are going to be recruited by Michigan State and Texas and UCLA, big-time programs. They're not stiffs. They're guys that have physical ability. They're skilled. Mentally, they're not quite there uh, in terms of really understanding the game, having a good feel for the game. But skill-wise, uh, they are, they're, they're very good. Um, you know, and now, now there's five Division One players from China uh, which I think for us is great. You know, the more players like this that, for what, whatever reason, they could jump and get out of whatever their system is, maybe it's a club team that they're playing for because they have uh, a family member or a friend living in the United States that's helping them. Uh, but there's five kids playing in, in Division One, and, and those things, the Hachimura stories are good uh, because that – gets caught by the media here and people talk about it. Oh, well, that's interesting. I can go to States. I can go to school and play basketball. Uh, that would be really good. And I think it makes mom and dad think a little bit differently than parents of one generation ago or 20 years ago. So I think over time, and then, and then you look at the pipeline of Aussies that are going to the United States. I mean, St. Mary's is the junior Australian national team. Uh, so how many how many universities would love because they can't get the best kid from LA or or the Bay Area or from from Dallas? How many programs would love to have a seven foot athlete from China? I yeah. think everyone would uh, to fill in that gap that they need. It's uh, a great point. That is a, a great great point. Um, a couple more minutes here. The so just next 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 week. Uh, the LeBron James Lakers, Anthony Davis, they rolled the town on the Nets. So I, I, I imagine the the buzz in Shanghai for them arriving uh, is, is is pretty significant. Yeah, the buzz is real. Uh, they're here. Uh, the, there'll be people outside the hotel three days before their arrival. Um, <laughs> we have one game in Shanghai. We have an open fan night, uh, which we tend to do an open practice for people that can't get tickets. Uh, and then there's all sorts of events, uh, clinics, NBA Cares, NBA Fit. So we do all sorts of different activations around the games, uh, both Shanghai and Shenzhen. So it's a, it's a busy 
uh, week, but this is our this is our Super Bowl, uh, you know, because we are uh, NBA China and we don't have players from China in the NBA. Uh, and so basically, we're you know, if you think about it, we're selling Americana and we're selling a product that is based in the United States. And this is one of the very few touch points that we could bring to Chinese fans. Uh, we're doing the same thing in Japan. Uh, next week, we're also doing the same thing in India for the first time ever in India uh, this week with the Kings, Indiana, I think on the fourth and fifth. Yeah. Uh, so it's a busy two weeks for the NBA. <clears throat> no, that's exciting. Do, do you still get around? Are you still just focusing exclusively with China or do, or do you jump over back to Japan? And, and uh, obviously you're not going to India because timing wise with, those others are, are, are you just strictly based in, in China now? So for these games, I'll be in China, but it really depending on scheduling and programming throughout the year. So I have gone back to India a couple times since I've been in China. If they do events that are big, I uh, was in Japan this year for two weeks. We, we run a camp every summer called basketball Without borders. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was Asia. So we brought over five Chinese boys, a couple kids from Taiwan, a couple girls, um, and so if there are events and programs that were understaffed uh, because the other other offices don't have enough people on them, then we'll support from China and vice versa. We'll bring in people from other other offices to China to help us. So I do get a chance. Uh, and those are always kind of fun to reconnect and see how basketball is growing elsewhere. Uh, but 95% of the focus is, is really on China. That's great. Do you get a chance to, to, to still follow the college game over there, or are you still or just so kind of locked in and is is just being able to watch it challenging? You know, China China is good of a market, if not the best that I've been in in the world to stay connected. Uh, for example, all of our games are on digital. Uh, I think we have hundreds of games on CCTV, which is the ESPN. It's the one national sports broadcasting channel here. Uh, along with that, you can watch NFL on, we, we partnered with Tencent, which is a digital, uh, it's a, uh, digital media um, company. And all of our games are on, on, on mobile. Uh, Pac-12 games, Pac-12 has a deal. So you can see Pac-12 games, you can see NCAA um, they'll have NFL games. They'll have some college football. Uh, so compared to 1999, when I was on dial-up internet in Brussels, <laughs> Belgium, uh, really life is, uh, is is real convenient. You know, I could watch. I have an ESPN feed in my house. Uh, you just got to watch games. It's three in the morning instead of yeah. uh, you know three in the afternoon. But it's fairly easy because the games, the East East Coast prime time, seven o'clock in the morning here. And, West, West Coast is 10 o'clock, so you can watch the the, 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 after, the West Coast games at 10, 10 in the morning here, which is pretty easy. Who was, um, gosh, was it Turkey? Didn't didn't Turkey have one of your former Gators uh, uh, playing with them that he'd gotten the passport? You know, interesting. There was three Gators in the, uh, in the World Cup, which I, I should have sent that to U.S so they can note it. Yeah, is Wilbekin uh, was one of them, played, right? Wilbekin played uh, Nick Calathis on Greece. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Nem, Nem, Andrew, I don't know his last name, Nem, Nembran, Nemhard, I'm going to blew the last name. But he's their uh, sophomore point guard this year That's right. on Canada. That's right, that's right, that's right. So they had three guys playing, which was uh, – when I saw Weebleton play, I was like, man, that guy looks real familiar. <laughs> uh, and then I was like, oh, wow. That's... Interesting, he didn't, play in, he didn't play in Turkey either. He played in, uh, I want to say, Israel last year. But I guess he had some sort of connection to get, to get the passport. Yeah, he had been – I know he had spent some time uh, down there. And so it was interesting just to see – you know, that's becoming – there were a lot, a lot of, a lot of benches that had some, some familiar Western faces on their team name. So, um, no, that's good, man. Uh, last thing. So, if if you show up in Shanghai next week, what is the one uh, Instagram worthy meal that Greg Stolt would recommend? That's a that is a Shanghai cuisine that you can't find in in Huntsville, Alabama. I would say 
well, you can find a lot in Huntsville, Alabama, I'm sure. But I would say the Shanghai dumplings are, uh, you could go to a restaurant in Huntsville and order Shanghai dumplings, but they won't be the same. As yeah, no, w- w- I, I, I want to know some type of that looks like you just pulled it out of the water over there. It's strictly in Shanghai. Like what is, what is your, your meal over there, your go-to that 100% you cannot find in Huntsville? Oh man, that's probably 95% of the meals here. Um, <laughs> I don't have one, you know, I'll say one in China uh, that, that, that is always my go-to when I have family over is Beijing duck, but you got to be in Beijing. Okay. And that's uh, that's a special meal. It's like the, the way they cut it, it's art and it's beautiful and they put it on your plate and they present it. I'll say that. You can probably still get that in Huntsville somewhere, but uh, you won't get the same level uh, of duck and flavor and presentation as you will here in China. I love it. And when was the last time somebody in China asked you about Aaron Andrews? Uh, it hasn't been asked. <laughs> uh, you, you have to. Be, has, you have to be an year. old school. It'll be once a year. Stolt, there you go. You have to be an old school Greg Stolt guy to know that one. So, um, Greg, listen, man, I, I can't begin to thank you enough for. Uh, helping me shove off the dock with this. And uh, I think this is going to be um, a lot of fun. I know just in this conversation, a lot of stuff that I already knew, I, I, there's a bunch of stuff that it was take away from me and, and, and that I learned with. And uh, I'm excited for, uh, for others to listen. And I'm excited for, uh, for the upcoming season. Uh, and, and, and hopefully, you know, we can cross paths again and, and, and maybe catch up to kind of see how things are going uh, with you and, and what's going on in China. Yeah, it's great to be part of this. Uh, a, a privilege to be part of the first one. I look forward to keeping up with it and then following up down the road. Um, and then, as I said, I have a bunch of guys here in China that have coached all over the world and been part of ball all over the world and happy to connect and uh stay in touch and connect those guys with you. No, I appreciate it. And like I said, that's one of the things and kind of going through this is that, you know, I want there to be times to kind of talk, you know, certain cases and in, in, in more specific, more technically, more, you know, you know, from a, from a coach speak standpoint of, of what they do and what they look for in players and, and, and just, um, yeah, just all, all kind of things. But you're, you're, your bank of knowledge and experiences from playing and, 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 and working and overseeing, you know, the, the biggest emerging market there is for the NBA. I thought it was too much to, to, to pass of just talking kind of macro issues. So, um, get on to your, uh, to your class, go learn your Chinese better and, uh, get ready for the, uh, the lake show to arrive next week. Yeah, we'll do the next one in Chinese. I like that. All right, Greg, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Dan. All right, take care, buddy.